I'm Dr. Ward Bond, and I welcome you to Life-Changing Wellness Episode 60. Today, we talk about room-by-room flu prevention for unwanted house guests. This is going to be one life-changing episode. This is Dr. Ward Bond's Life-Changing Wellness. Life-Changing Wellness. Here's Dr. Ward Bond. Welcome, everyone, to today's program. Before we begin, if we, if you could just do me a favor, please head over to iTunes after the interview with my guest today. Rate and review the show for me, and I thank you ahead of time for making our show great. And I encourage you to look up my show page here on RadioMD.com slash Dr. Bond. Well, can you believe it's already time to prepare for another flu season? Feels like we just wrapped up the last one, but the Centers of Disease Control and Prevention says it's time to prepare for the 2018-2019 flu season right now, especially coming off of a horrible season that killed more children than any other non-pandemic year on record. Well, to help me to discuss this flu season coming up is my guest today, Dr. Ken Redcross, who is a board-certified internal medicine physician and author of Bond, the four cornerstones of a lasting and caring relationship with your doctor. His expertise is capturing how to best provide the ultimate patient experience for those who may be concerned or frustrated with the deterioration of the patient-doctor relationship or for patients interested in developing and strengthening an existing relationship. Dr. Red Cross has worked with a diverse group of patients from migrant farm workers to the elderly to patients battling drug addiction. His concierge approach has led to the development of an impressive following of patients from the entertainment industry, sports arena, and business world spanning from L.A. to New York City. And Dr. Red Cross has made several appearances on major television networks, including The Doctors, Entertainment Tonight and The Insider, and CNN and others, and numerous radio shows including here on Radio MD. So let's win the battle against the flu this season with my guest, the one and only Dr. Ken Redcross. Welcome to the show. Oh, oh, thank you so much, Dr. Bond. I am elated to be here with you today. So thanks for having me. Oh, you are very, very welcome. Now, you know, one thing we deal with every season, and sometimes I think the flu season starts to act like it's 12 months out of the year instead of, you know, three months out of the year, but sure. what have you seen or heard that, uh, or what are the health uh, officials predicting for this flu season this year? So look, so you, you eloquently, you know, highlighted how the season was last year. It was a rough one, everyone. And so right now we are being told by the CDC to prepare. It looks like the strains are going to be quite similar, which is a good thing because that allows us to properly prepare and to get ready. And so that's why exactly we're talking about how to kind of stamp out these flu-type symptoms that can come room by room to make a big difference. Well, let me ask you this, because uh, a lot of people ask me, how does, let's just let's just place the blame on the CDC here for a moment. How does the CDC <laughs> figure out what strains of the flu that oh, yeah. we could be dealing with in a particular season? Because every year it just seems to change, and everybody... Half the people run out to get a flu vaccine. Others avoid it, thinking, well, if I want to get the flu, I'll just go get a vaccine. But uh, how do they figure out which strains could be the culprits for that for this particular season? You know, so look, that's a great question. So each and every year, we know the flu's pattern starts in the southern hemisphere and sweeps up to us. So that allows us 
to kind of get ready for the strains that are most common. Now, the challenge is this. Last year's flu vaccine was only about 37% effective, which, believe it or not, in the flu vaccine world is not bad. But the challenge is that the virus is always changing. And when it mutates, even though we think we can peg Dr. Bond, it switches on us. And so, therefore, people can still get sick despite the actual vaccine. So at least we know this year it's something that we have experienced last year. So maybe we can be a little more prepared. But you're right. It could be very frustrating. And the flu vaccine in itself can be quite controversial. Well, you have actually given us the best answer to that question that I've ever received, because no one's ever explained it in very easy terms. So to me, that makes a whole (laughs) lot of sense because, you know, the general public thinks that the CDC or let's say some people think it's the FDA that does it, but uh, they're just, you know, basically just grabbing this stuff out of thin air. And in a way, I guess they could be if it's coming down from the Southern Hemisphere. But uh, I guess it does give us ample time to, like you said, track it, figure out what strains are showing up so they can best create some type of uh, preventative measure. Now, I understand that right now you are making the media rounds from coast to coast, and you're talking about this room by room uh, prevention. So what are some of these easy home room by room prevention hacks that you recommend for the flu for flu prevention? Yeah. So one of the things I want everyone out there listening, just kind of imagine it may be your home, but if you're not, let's go room by room. Like you mentioned, Dr. Bond in the first room, probably my favorite room is the kitchen. And the reason why I say it's so important is because there are several things that we can have in our cupboards that are flu fighting foods. And it's also a place where it helps us to remember that food is medicine. So as you think of some things you can stock your cupboards with, think about cranberries. Now, cranberries have studies, and there was a nutrition journal study that talked about its benefit to have a high level of polyphenols, which are antioxidants. And the point is they help to boost your immune system, exactly what we want to have this time of year. Now, when you think of vegetables that are very beneficial, one of them are mushrooms. Now, mushrooms, once again, can be a little polarizing. Some people love them and some people hate them. But the reason why I bring in mushrooms is because we do know that they're antiviral, they're antibacterial, and they're also antifungal. So for those people out there, Dr. Bond, who have a challenge with mushrooms and they really want to get the best benefit, I talk to them about a medicinal mushroom supplement, which is called AHCC. Now, it's a little unique in that it's been studied with 30 human clinical trials to show of its benefit to not only boost the immune system, but also decrease inflammation. And that's the key, and it's the reason why... AHCC is also the number one immune supplement in Japan. So when we're thinking of some of these foods that are in our cupboards, let's look at the data behind them and see why they're so beneficial. So those are just a couple of things that you can get out of the produce aisle that can make a ginormous difference in your health. Well, see, I love the fact that you brought up the medicinal mushrooms because I'm a huge believer. I mean, I take mataki, I take lion's mane, cordyceps, maybe reishi shiitake from time to time but they all have their own properties i love it yeah and so and like you said you know they're very powerful in their immune boosting capabilities and i'm with you everyone should be getting on that type of mushroom or that type of product to help build up their immune system and so let me say this because i want to i don't want to far too I don't get off track here, but something always comes to my mind because I hear sure. this from a lot of parents that they worry about when the when school season starts 
all these schools have been mm-hmm. shut up for the summer. The AC's not really been running. Right. Things are growing in the, the vents. And then the moment the kids go to school, the next two or three months, it's like all these kids are getting sick right off the bat. And then we have yes. the flu season on top yeah. of that. So are there any type of preventative measures for the children out there? Oh, gosh. Thanks for asking because I have two of them at home, a set of twins. And so one of the things that I send them to school with are some of the wipes so that, number one, they can make sure to wipe down their surface each and every day because that's the important thing. We usually give these viruses to ourselves, especially kids. You end up touching another child and you rub your eyes, your nose, and your mouth, and that's how it spreads so rampant. So you want to make sure that you have something that your kids can utilize also for a hand sanitizer. There's a natural hand sanitizer, and they have them. Like this particular one I looked at, it was at Whole Foods, actually, and it's good, it smells good, and it's something that the kids can kind of spray before they go in to make sure that once they get off the bus or out of the carpool, they can then make sure, okay, I need to start becoming flu ready. Dad wants me to make sure I wash my hands. And keep in mind also, I should mention, there's no substitute for soap and water. But if it's not close by, some of these organic hand sanitizers are huge. But you definitely want to start making sure you're instilling your child early. Like, hey, the germs lurk everywhere, so make sure you're wiping down your surfaces. Because we know the flu can live 24 hours on hard surfaces. So we need to be careful. Wow, that now that's something I did not know that the flu virus can live for 24 hours on a hard surface. Well, I think we need to be uh, wiping down all of those hard surfaces definitely in our home because I I know that you also bring up one of the the big rooms of the home that's the living room. So how do we cut that down on the right. spread of germs? Now, the living room is always fascinating to me because that's where we spend a lot of time with our families. And some of the things we just never think about are that remote control. So take a peek at it if any of you are out there. Look at the remote control. I doubt it is as pristine (laughs) as it was when you bought it. And so one of the things you notice is that there are a lot of bacteria on not only remote control, but also your devices, your handheld devices and your iPads. Lots of times bring those into the living room as well. So they luckily have some antibacterial wipes that make a ginormous difference when you're really, really thinking about it. And the other thing you should mention, or I should mention rather, is when you wipe these surfaces, you want to make sure that they look visibly wet. It's very important because that's what gets on the surface and then it evaporates to help kill the bacteria. So you want to make sure that you have enough of the solution on there. But think about that remote control because it gets past so many times, and especially now, it's football season and then baseball season, and everybody's trying to, to get to that remote. Not everyone maybe realizes that they haven't washed their hands. Wow. You know, my my father was a huge believer in washing your hands. He was in the medical industry as well, and to him, it's like, wash your hands. He was really big on uh, using Castile soaps and things of that sort, and uh, clean, clean, clean. That's what he believed in, and... Uh, you know, something as simple as that can do, uh, it's just major prevention. But you also bring something to mind as you're explaining this is that I'm thinking that we should probably wipe off our cell phones at least uh, every evening. Yeah. Because be- I don't, I yeah, think that's something yeah. that we completely forget. That's a great point. Now, no, we totally do. And we handle it once again all day long. So you're right. Yeah. Now let's talk about the nastiest room in the, pl- in the house, the bathroom. So... <laughs> What are the likely places yeah. where germs can spread, and what are your recommendations for this this area? Right. So I want us to think a little bit outside the box as far as the bathroom. You're right. We know that that is, unfortunately, the nastiest room in the home, most likely. But 
you know, how many times do you go in there, you wash your hands, and so do your guests, and they use that same towel that's hanging up that they're all drying their hands with. So I want us to nix those towels and instead opt for some kind of paper towel. Some of the house guest paper towels, they're really kind of fancy. You can place them on top of the toilet or to the side or what have you, kind of like the hotels have. But get those tissues or those towels, actually. Dry your hands with those and throw those into the trash can. Now, it doesn't just stop there, Dr. Bond, because I want to make sure that you get a special trash can. I want you to get one that has a lid And the reason why is because the flu virus can live 15 minutes on tissues. So I don't want it aerosolized in that bathroom after you kind of wash your hands down. I want it to die right in that can. So think about that a little bit when you're in your bathroom now. Now, let me ask you this, Dr. Red Cross, because uh, I don't think I think half the population may understand how the, the flu virus spreads. But is the flu virus spread by touch and and it's also airborne as well. So there's two ways to actually catch the flu in certain situations or uh, being in crowds or being with other people. Sure. Yeah, you're right. So look, there's usually respiratory droplets, and we've already talked how the flu virus can live on certain surfaces. Keep in mind that when you're coughing and someone's not covering their mouth or they actually have the flu or a cold, you can end up spreading up to 2,000 viral droplets in the air to that person, and you only have to be about six feet away. Um, so it's not too difficult for this to spread if everyone's not practicing their, their best to cover their mouth and, and washing their hands. So you're right. The flu virus is usually um, actually transmitted respiratory-wise, but yes, it can be with contact as well. Well, I understand that the another room that uh, you highlight is what should we be doing in the bedroom to prevent the spread of germs? You know, I think when we think of the bedroom and germs, we're thinking of all of those uh, news programs when they whip out the black light to, to check the sheets. But uh, it's probably more than that, correct? Right, right. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit more than that. It's a little <laughs> bit more than that. Well, look, obviously, this is where we're the closest with our loved ones and so forth. So it's important. Should one of you actually come down with the, with symptoms of the flu, which I should say are fevers, chills, and body aches. They're the big, more common symptoms. So should you come down with those symptoms, make sure you separate. Someone has to go to the sofa. I vote for the guy um, to actually have to go to the sofa. But the point is you want to separate at that time and stay apart for a bit because it is easy to pass back and forth. Um, it also still can consider the importance of, 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 of washing your linens and that sort of thing, because we forget about it. I tell patients to wash it at least three to four times a week, knowing that they're honestly going to probably do it once a week. And I'm actually okay with that. But the flu virus can also live on those as well. So let's just make sure that we're, we're cleaning our, our, our linens quite often also. Okay, well, let me ask you this. So let's say uh, someone is laying in bed, they have the flu, they, they feel horrible, um, and they're trying to get over it. And then let's say they have a fever, and their fever breaks, and they're, sure. they're, com- they're completely sweaty, uh, the sheets are wet. Uh, and then, you know, sometimes, you know, some people, they have to break their fever, you know, maybe at least twice before they start feeling better. But like you said, we need to be washing those linens probably three or four times during that week because it does the sweating yeah uh is it also producing that virus outside the body and putting it onto the linens 
Oh, gosh, that's a really good question. So, no, I don't want everyone to worry about that. What's happening when you're sweating, you're getting losses, what we call, you get some that are insatiable losses. In other words, when you don't really understand or know that you're actually sweating a little bit, which can then lead to dehydration and big problems when you're trying to get over flu-like symptoms. But, no, it is not necessarily shedding out of your body that way. But the point is, is that you want those those conditions out of there as far as the wet linens because, once again, that is an environment to where your skin is a little more cool, you're a little more damp, and you're still going to start to feel some of the symptoms, whether they be chills or, or, or some of the body aches. So you want to do that. But, no, the virus isn't shedding that way, but it's just important because throughout the night, you're coughing, you're sneezing, you're getting all over those sheets. And like you said, with that light, with, you know, CSI and those shows, you'll see some green under that light, believe me. Yeah, well, and at the same time, we know that anything that is uh, moist and damp and warm, bad things can grow. So it's always good to to wash those right, linens a few right. times during the week if somebody's had the flu and they've been uh, resting in bed for the the last few days. So uh, um, what would you say to everyone listening? What would be the uh, top three uh, let me say top three preventative remedies besides the one that you mentioned uh, earlier that we should all all be partaking of this coming flu season. What are your favorites? Well, look, we, we talked about some things. Yeah. And, and we talked about some things and you'll you'll see some of the, the things that just don't change. Right. We talked about the importance of, of hand washing. The other thing that I mentioned as well, like you said, is making sure that we wipe our surfaces. Please, please think about that and be vigilant. But one of the most important things you and I started with, and we started in the kitchen because we started to really understand that food is medicine. And some of these simple things, like it's great that you love mushrooms. One of the mushrooms that I didn't mention with AHCC is a shiitake mushroom. You mentioned some really good immune boosting. So back up. Look at the information on cranberries. Look at the information even on omega-3. We know that if you get some of the cold water fish, for instance, salmon, tuna, sardines, they're loaded with omega-3. And the studies show that it increases white blood cell activity. And you can even at a website called nutrientpower.org, you can order a test kit, which not only lets you know kind of what your omega-3 index is, meaning how much omega-3 are you getting and do you have enough, but it also checks your vitamin D. And vitamin D is important for our immune health as well. So if there's one major takeaway is that realize, look, food is medicine and there are some things that we can do naturally that don't necessarily require a prescription to make us feel better. I love it. I love it, Dr. Red Cross. Now, let, now I want you to tell us all about your brand new book. I love the title. I'm a little partial here. It's called Bond. <laughs> so how important is the patient-doctor relationship when it comes to the flu, for for example? Oh, it's huge. Well, look, I, I love the title even more after meeting you now. It's like we had our, our brain waves working together. And you're right. That, that bond is extremely important because think about it, everyone. When you start to feel like, oh, gosh, I think I feel chills or I feel like some body aches, one of the things you do is you tend to blow it off. Sometimes you blow it off because you're busy. Sometimes you also blow it off because you're thinking, eh, I don't have time to get into the doctor's office. I know he or she is busy. Or I don't have a primary care physician. And so those are problems when it comes to this because the flu comes on quickly. And recognize that last year there were over 700,000 hospital visits due to the flu and its complications. So you want to have a good relationship so that you can pick up the phone and ask your doc, doc, should I be worried? What should I do in the meantime? Can I get an appointment? 
those things are all so important when you're creating that relationship. Now, what would you what do you say to the people that you know they have a doctor, the doctor's pretty good, but they the patient seems to be really frustrated with their relationship with their doctor. Do they just dump the doctor and go find a new one that they like, or is there a way to improve the patient and doctor relationship? If you have a doctor that's really good at what they do, but you you know you still get frustrated with them uh, over certain things. Sure. So, is there a way to ha- handle that correctly? Yeah, there is. So, look, you don't go and dump your doctor right now unless there's a couple of important things. Some things are non-starters. Number one, being disrespectful. Number two, being condescending. Those are are one and done in in my book, but. Sometimes the physician doesn't know what you need. We get busy sometimes. We think we bring you what you need, but I always tell patients, please sit us down sometimes. Say, hey, doc, I didn't have enough time this visit. Can we make another appointment to where we can have two visits back to back so that I can get your time? In other words, it's about four important things that I even talk about in the book. It's about trust, respect, empathy, and communication. And if any of those fall down, if any of those pillars fall, then the relationship between the patient and the doctor suffers as well. So make sure that you're reaching out to your doc and letting us know, hey, we're almost there, but there's a few things that I'd love for us to work on to really get that relationship or what I feel is missing. Now, I love that. And, uh, you know, I have a, a few doctors myself that I really, really like. And there are a few doctors that... Uh, I've had some run-ins with, <laughs> and uh, one thing I can't stand is when somebody <laughs> doesn't know how to use common sense, and it was funny because uh, I just had a friend of mine, just the other day, he went to the ER, he had a very painful, his wrist was swollen, it, it was very painful, um, <clears throat> he had a lot of swelling, he was very concerned, it, and the pain was unbearable, so he goes to this ER, and after about an hour, they tell him, well, you are definitely experiencing pain and swelling, and he looked at him like, you're kidding me, right? I could have told you that, but I'm not a doctor. So after your 12 years of study, all you can come back to me with is that I'm dealing with pain and swelling. So he left there, went to another yeah. ER, and they looked at him and said, okay, we're going to figure this out. And come to find out, it was a very technical right. tendon inflammation that they just did the surgery yesterday. Okay. Yeah, and everything is really, everything's okay. They said it's a, it, it happens to a few people. But there was his was the worst case ever. But he was so ticked off with. Yeah, no, I'm sure he was. I'm sure he was. And unfortunately, his story isn't unique nowadays. I always kind of say I hate to say it, but right now healthcare is in on life support mode because we're losing some of that patient doctor relationship where we can just slow them and really get into what I always like to say, the soul of the patient. What brings them in there? What am I supposed to impart in them? to make them healthy and whole. And luckily, he went to that second center, which highlights something else I always say. Please, have an advocate with you sometimes. It makes it makes a really big difference to have someone with you to say, well, you know, I don't know if we understand what's going on. Can you please break it down into terms that we can understand so that we can know what is our plan? Where are we headed? Those things are important. So that gets back to that, one of those other pillars, which is communication. I agree. And I think depending on what a person is dealing with uh, in their body, that they need to take somebody with them as they go to the doctor. Because sometimes when we're talking to the doctor as a patient, we may only hear half of what the doctor says back to us 
And it's always good to have another set of ears next to us getting all of the information. Right. So when we leave the office, we can kind of replay the visit again. And things that we may miss as a patient, our, our friend or a family member may say, well, they also said this, so remember that. And then you can go, oh, yeah, the light bulb goes right. on. So, but let me ask you this from the doctor's point of view. So let me let me kind of set up a, a quick sure. scenario for you. And 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 since you're the doctor, okay. we're gonna uh, I'm gonna test you here. So if a patient comes in to see you and they've already searched uh, drugs.com and they've searched uh, WebMD and they've come up with their own diagnosis, mm-hmm. how do, how is the doctor? How should the doctor react when the patient comes in? And is almost self-diagnosing off the internet, right? You know, so you're 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 probably talking about a good buddy of mine named Doctor Google. Um, so yes, <laughs> he he has reared his head several times when patients come in. But I'll tell you this: one of the things I do, and I've learned because I understand for us being physicians how that can be challenging. But one of the things I found that was important is I had to recognize that the patients went to Doctor Google or WebMD and those locations because they're scared. They don't know what's going on, and they want to know, hey, where am I with this? Is this something a little more serious? So what I typically do, and it's funny, I mentioned this exact same thing in the book. I usually take those papers that they have, and I honestly review them with the patient. Now, if it's a big packet, of course, I can't necessarily go through war and peace, no. But what I can do is kind of highlight some things that are important to them, and most likely, most times, tell them, look, you don't have to worry about this because this is not what you have. You don't have to worry about that because this isn't what you have. So, in other words, the patient feels listened to and heard. And then lots of times we can get through to the true diagnosis. But I try to make sure that the patients realize, like, look, I hear you. I may have maybe there's somewhere where I haven't communicated as well as I need to so because you're worried. But I make sure I still take that paperwork in and we still do our best to discuss it, even if it's just a few minutes. See, I love that. Communication is key. And I know for the patient, as the patient goes to see the doctor, you know, I, I want to see, and your book really hits these points. I want I want to see the doctors across America really take time to better communicate with the patient. Because when the patient walks into the into the doctor's office, all the patient really wants is someone that will listen to them, but also at the mm-hmm. in the end be diagnosed um, correctly, you know, and I know that for some, you know, there's going to be numerous tests to be run to try to find out what the actual problem is. But I think it's comes down to the patient wanting to be listened to taken seriously. And you really said it earlier in the show for a doctor not to be uh, condescending. And I hear that a lot from so many people who go see a doctor and they cannot stand when the doctor talks down to them from the point of the doctor having a God complex. Yeah, no, you're right. And, that, and that's something that's very important. And I tell patients, look, you're empowered. And, and it's important because the minute that that patient comes in or looks in that book and finds your name and comes into that office and, and pays that copay, it's a bond that's going to be formed. And it's important that the patient recognize, like, hey, I'm a big part of this bond here. I am here, and I want to to meet this doctor to stay well, to stay healthy. And so I can speak up about some things that just do not feel right or seem right and not necessarily feel that they can't speak their mind. Well, I love it. And ladies and gentlemen, uh, please, you've got to pick up a copy of Dr. Ken Red Cross's new book, Bond. You're going to remember it because... 
I'm Dr. Ward Bond. I didn't write the book, but Dr. Red Cross did, so it's an easy name to remember. Bond, the four cornerstones of a lasting and caring relationship with your doctor. That is an important book that every family should have. You need to understand what you need to do when you go to the doctor and what to expect. And remember, it's a relationship and you can almost, it's almost like a team effort between you and your doctor. And Dr. Red Cross, where can we get more information about the tips on the flu that you shared with us today, as well as where can everyone buy your new book? All right, sure. So my website where you can find out a little more is drredcross.com. Twitter is at drredcross. Instagram is also drredcross. And my book, Bond, um, is available on Amazon, actually. So if you go to Amazon or even to a website called Bond by Dr. Red Cross, you can see my title there, and I hope you enjoy it. All right. Well, Dr. Red Cross, again, thank you so much for giving us the honor of your presence on the show today and definitely giving us the vital, the useful, helpful information on preventing the flu this season. And again, much success to you and your new book. And uh, I can't wait to have you back. We got, we got a great vibe going here. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. And everybody, please take care and have a blessed day. Hey, I love that. And remember, everyone, to catch every episode of Life-Changing Wellness, just hit subscribe on iTunes or go to my show page at RadioMD.com slash Dr. Bond. And if I, can, if I can just ask you a favor, please take 30 seconds, rate the show on iTunes. And again, thank you for doing that for me as we want to bring you the best show possible. You can learn more about me at drwardbond.com and check out my daily television show that airs nationwide across America on Direct and Dish TV as well as nine cable areas such as Denver and Las Vegas and others. Check us out at Monday through Friday at 12 noon Eastern Standard Time. And again, go to my website at drwardbond to check out the schedule for that. And thank you for listening to Life Changing Wellness. I am your host, Dr. Ward Bond, and remember, something spectacular happens when you treat your body right. Have a blessed day, everyone.